start. <laughs> well, let's start by introducing ourselves. So, yes. I'm Eliza. My name is Ben. And together we've decided we're going to do this podcast called Battle Royale. Yeah. A bit of background info first. Bit of background info. Uh, so this in this podcast, we are going to be reviewing, rating, and ranking all of the kings and emperors of France from Clovis to Napoleon the Third. This podcast is kind of inspired by the Rex Factor podcast. They went into the kings and queens of England. Yes. And then Scotland. Yeah. And they're currently doing the English consorts, so like the queens and prince consorts of England. So, you know, they've got the English base covered and I, I'm a, I'm a French history enthusiast, um, despite being Australian. It's a long story. Um, <laughs> and I thought this would be great if it was like also about the French monarchs, because I think a lot of people know s- some things about French monarchs. Like particularly some of the famous ones, like obviously everyone knows about like Marie Antoinette, but yeah. and like L- the Sun King, but. And Napoleon yeah. and people have heard of Charlemagne, but like, it's all stuff that people have heard of, I think, but people don't know about. Know about. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through all of the Kings in chronological order. This is a tall, this is the tall order because there's like over 70 of them. You'll get at least 70 episodes. At least 70. Well, there's going to be more because we'll cover other people as well. Other interesting people. Hopefully you'll stay tuned to listen to all of those. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've got some, because France never had a queen, which is very sad. Never had a a queen regnant um, like England did. So we're going to have some sort of in-betweeny episodes where there might be sort of a gap in the history or there might be a female regent or something. Mm -hmm. We'll do an episode all about a woman. Yeah. So I... I'm currently doing a history degree, a uh, history master's. Um, I'm studying remotely from the University of Edinburgh. And uh, by the time this comes out, I should be nearly done. Um, I'll be like a master of history. It'll be Very great. Exciting. I know. And Eliza? Well, unlike <laughs> Ben, I did not do any degree relating to history except for a few subjects here and there. I mean, we met in one. Yeah, we, we met did. in a history class. But I am a teacher, but I do love history, particularly ancient history. But I do also love learning a bit more about modern history. Well, sort of modern history. Yeah. And obviously I know a tiny bit about French history, but I want to learn more. So yeah. I came to Ben. Yeah. So yeah, this is our big Bastille Day premiere episode. And we're very excited. So shall we explain the five different categories? Well, we'll, we'll start the episode by going through their life um, from birth to death. And then sort of the second half of each episode will be ranking them with five categories. It'll kind of be like, we'll kind of end up with like a sort of top trumps card for each, uh, for each monarch. And that will add up to a score out of a hundred at the end. And then at the end, we decide. <laughs> who has that quality? Who has that special something um, to avoid. The guillotine. The guillotine, yeah. So at the end of the, at the end of the day, we'll decide who gets the head chopped off, and you know goes in the dustbin of history, <laughs> and we won't talk about them again. And who gets to go through to the battle royale tournament, where they get to we will do a playoff to decide who's the best of the best of the who really deserves to have their head on. Yeah, who? Yeah, who is the? Yeah, who is the most ahead of the head people? <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know what that was, but I guess. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, so I've obviously roped in Eliza, who is a very, very good friend, um, into recording this with me because I just want somewhere to channel my obsession with French history. <laughs> and I'm happy to learn about it. Yeah. Um, so. First category. Enchanté. The first category is Enchanté. And what is that? It means nice to meet you in French. Um, well, technically means enchanted. Mm-hmm. So like when French people meet each other, they're like, like enchanted. Oh. I think it's a, a sort of old timey sort of thing. I don't know if people still say so that. So that's what you can say if you want to be old timey in French. Yeah. But this round was kind of um, inspired by, so there's a couple other podcasts that are inspired by Rex Factor. Um, the ones that I've binged over sort of lockdown have been um, Totalis Rankium, where they review all of the Roman emperors and Pontifax, where they review all the popes. And both of those podcasts have a round where they rate the their subject based on appearance. So that's what we're doing with the Enchanté round. We'll have a picture that'll be... Might be a bit from more modern times, because obviously we can't get pictures exactly from the same yeah. one. I mean, early on, it's a lot of, like, coins that kind of just look the same. So uh, <laughs> we'll be doing them probably a bit more based off modern. Yeah. I mean... But at, it'll still be fun. Yeah. At the end of the day, even if it's a contemporary portrait, they're still, like, taking liberties. Yeah. <laughs> even ones that were around a few hundred years ago probably yeah. took liberties on how they were portrayed. Yeah, exactly. So, so this round is kind of, like... How hot are they? Hot or not? Do we swipe left or swipe right? (laughs) So, yeah. um, Obviously, we won't get to contemporary portraits until, like, the 15th century when that sort of thing starts happening. But for the early ones, we have some great artist renditions from the 19th and 20th centuries, which are... Some of them are great, Mm -hmm. and some of them are really horrible and inaccurate. And you'll see see (laughs) when we post on our different social media platforms, which we'll go into about later. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, our next round is called... On Guard. So this is very similar to battliness in Rex Factor. Um, I think we're defining it slightly differently. Mm. It's more... So I'm defining this as sort of selfish wins. It's like... So On Guard is what is kind of like, put them up. You're like fighting for your honour, you know? Um, I mean, if you've ever read or seen any Three Musketeers related <laughs> content, then you know what on guard means. Or if you've, you know, been to a fencing match, I, they probably don't say on guard. Anyway, but <laughs> um, so it's basically how good were they at winning battles? Yes. But also sort of maintaining the gains of previous generations, it's building not up, land. not losing land, um, building up their own power as well. And sort of their own personal prestige. So we'll find some monarchs who are sort of ceding ground to like people within their kingdom as well. Um, like people who, you know, let the nobles get too powerful or um, give in to the peasants too much or something like that. So this is very much the round of like what's good for them, the king as an individual. Rather than the people. Yeah. Which is, brings us to our next round. Voulez-vous? No, we'll get sued. Um, (laughs) um, But we love ABBA. Um, So this is quite similar to subjectivity from Rex Factor. It's basically, voulez-vous means, do you want to? It's basically, do you want to be a subject under them? Voulez-vous be a subject? (laughs) Do they help out? Like, do they care for the citizens? Do they promote the citizens' needs rather than 
their own. We're kind of looking into that aspect of it. Yeah. Were they actually good or were they actually really terrible to their yeah. people? And did they build a peaceful and prosperous uh, kingdom? And or did they of, starve their people? Did they starve their people? Did they maintain law and order or was it just chaos and civil war? Um, and also uh, stable succession. That's a really important mm. thing. Did they secure a stable succession where there wasn't a civil war immediately after they died? People were fighting left and right to be the next ruler. Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite of on guard in that it's selfless wins. It's wins for France as a nation. Yeah. But then on a completely different note, we have your favourite yeah. round. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Scandal, basically. Scandal. Yeah, it's pretty much the same as Scandal from Rex Factor. We're, we're carbon copying this one yeah. and putting a different name on it. Like, come on. It's always great to about Scandal. Exactly. So, Ooh La La is pretty simple. It's how much did they spice up the narrative, stir up controversy? Spice up the life. Yeah. Ruffle feathers. Um, I think particularly... gossip. Yeah, I think particularly monarchs who the church doesn't like are going to get high points yeah. here because if the church, church just them. yeah well the church is particularly in sort of the middle ages and stuff the church is the one writing the history um because they're the only ones who can read um, right. so, yeah their opinion basically yeah so if they start you know bossing the bishops around and that sort of thing bishops then aren't gonna be happy. then they're gonna the bishops are gonna talk about how they're like sexually deviant and stuff they're like that like a mean book about them yeah they write the burn books yeah. yeah um all right and so for each of these categories that we've talked about so far um both of us give points out of 10 um so that that's like a total out of 20 for each round but then the last round a little different so we have two we have two points out of ten again, but this round is called The Film Throne. Na, 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 na. Okay. Bit of Edith Pia. Um yeah, I don't know if that's copyrighted. So I'm getting stupid. I don't know. But Le Vion Throne, their life on the throne. It's basically how how much time did they spend on the throne and how productive were they with that time? So it's a Sort of a combo of dynasty and longevity from Rex Factor. This score is predetermined by maths. And uh, the uh, their scores of, like, how many children they had and legitimate how many years. Children. Legitimate children. Yeah, legitimate children. If we did illegitimate, there'd be whoa, way yeah. too many. But we are including girls. I yeah. I considered not including girls. <gasps> Scandal. Because girls never, a uh, woman never becomes queen of France. But she, but no. one could have, yeah. potentially, at some point. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that. Um, but, yeah, so first score based on how long they reigned. Second score based on how many children. Totaling up to the Vion Throne score. And this score is based on the top scorer's score in, in both sort of subcategories. And then... Now I'm just trying to explain maths, aren't I? Yeah, well, we won't explain that. We won't explain that. So if you go onto our WordPress site, which we'll, we'll sort of plug at the end, um, which no, is just, you can find out. It's you can find it. I'll have a, I'll have a, I'll have a, um, there's like a scores tab and you can go on there and it'll explain the maths if you're interested in seeing how we worked that out. But I think I've, I've worked out a system that's sort of based on what they use for Rex Factor, sort of based on my own just, going through all the monarchs' like tenures and uh, figuring out what what's the best representation of 
that. Um, so yeah, I think it works. Yeah. Semantics. Before we get into like the prehistory, yeah. which is going to be the other main part of this episode, um, the history of France leading up to when we find the first king of France, we have to determine what what is a king of France. <laughs> it's that annoying time in the history class where you say, what is this? It's a bit complicated because the kingdom of France is something that evolves over time. Well, basically it goes from someone who's king of the Franks to someone who's king of France. So it goes from a people group to like a geographic location as it becomes more established over time. So we decide to look at it from a geographical though as our first king. Yeah, so we're starting from Clovis, who is the first king of the Franks to not only unite the Franks as a people, but also to have a territory that roughly corresponds to what we would call France. Today? Yeah. So uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of different criteria that other people use. Like some people count it from sort of Charlemagne because he's like a big founding figure. But there are kings before Charlemagne who I think are just as important. And um, we're going to get into the our first dynasty, the Merovingian dynasty, which Eliza loves that name. Yeah, Merovingian, I'll probably <laughs> Merovingian. it. No, you did it. You did well. You did well. Yes. Yeah. Merovingian. I did not practice that. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> so, yeah, the Merovingian are our first dynasty. And here I struggled as well because then there's a lot of Merovingians. A lot. Yeah. And I considered just skipping them all together because I was like, there's loads and we're like, we don't know that much about most of them. <laughs> and um, But then again, who does love thing, Clovis? So. Yeah. Because the thing with the Merovingians, like not to spoil anything, but they have a tendency to divide the kingdom up amongst their sons. So there will be m- multiple kings of the of Franks, of different groups of Franks at different times. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a whole mess. So uh, we've decided to narrow it down a bit from like over 30 monarchs mm-hmm. to just about 13, I think, will be for our first dynasty. And uh, these will just be the Merovingian kings who ruled all of the Franks. So that keeps it nice and simple. Yeah. Um, but we will sort of be counting their reigns as like reign kings of smaller kingdoms a little bit. We'll give them like a half score for when they were a king, but not king of all the Franks. Um, that probably sounds really complicated, but you guys will get it. Yeah, <laughs> you listen more and more. Yeah, you guys will get into the swing of yeah. it. Pray history. Let's go back to the land before time. time. No. Yeah, no dinosaurs in this. No, no dinosaurs. We'll start. We'll, so we'll start Ice Age. So there's some mammoths here. Yeah. So we're talking like 40,000 BCE. Humans, this new new species yeah. called humans, uh, wandering around everywhere. And they happen upon a continent called Europe. Um, around the same time, if not slightly later than they happen upon Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, Australia is older than Europe, human-wise. But yeah, so the humans came into Europe. They they replaced the Neanderthals. And we know they were here around this time because we've got some lovely cave paintings at, uh, in France, there's some particularly famous cave paintings at Lasso, Gargas, and more recently discovered at the Chauvet Caves. And by recent, I mean 1991. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then we start getting into the Neolithic period, the later Stone Age. 
about 10,000 BCE. The ice melts. France becomes this lovely green land full of forests. There's it, loads of forests. Yeah, just loads, loads of forests, and it's fed by rivers, which we lots, lots, of, lots rivers. of rivers. You'll learn loads of names of rivers during yeah. this podcast. I mean, there's 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 a couple. There's a, there's only like two or three main ones that we need to know, but we'll get into them when they come along. And um, this sort of 10,000 BC period is around the time we start getting megaliths. Which literally, I looked it up. It just megalith just means big rock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we you get like your stone henges in England and in France. They have the Karnak stones in Brittany in northwestern France. Um, and these were not built by Obelix, um, Asterix's friend. Uh, or built by aliens. Or built by aliens. Um, because all lizards not that magical, I don't think. Because they're older than the Celts, who Asterix is a Celt. Um, so speaking good. of which, the Gauls, the Celts arrive, Ooh. sort of like eight hundred to six hundred BC ish. So they migrate like literally everywhere. <laughs> like they spread, they spread but their like long ten. Yes, <laughs> well, like a very fun. Uh, a mustachioed, battling, uh, battling shirt taking off plague. plague. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're they're migrating around. This is sort of the Iron Age, so this is when a lot of groups are sort of migrating into Europe, sort of starting, kind of starting a bit of civilization there. There are remnants of what we would call the old Europeans. A lot of people think that the Basque people in southern France, northern Spain. Um, are descended from the old Europeans because their language looks nothing like any other European language. So in this time, they are known as the Aquitani, and they kind of stick around while the Celts take over the rest of France. And from this point, we will know France as Gaul because it's where the Gauls live, the Gauls being the subset of Celts who live in France. But even though the Gauls didn't have writing, but a lot of documentation about them, because they spread everywhere and the Greeks knew about them, and the, the Romans, Romans knew about them. Like, yeah. Not giving them the nicest of yeah. yeah. And I mean, in a lot of places around Europe where you go, you'll see the like gal in mm. as like an element and stuff. So like Galicia in Spain was settled by the Celts. Um, uh, Gaelic is obviously a type of Celtic. Um, even Wales, it's kind of like Gales. Which I found very interesting to yeah. find out about. Yeah. That's a very nice fun little fact. We are re-recording this, so yeah. so so none of this information is surprising you now. Yeah. <laughs> but I did actually really find that really interesting at the time. Yeah, no. I really think Wales. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, in French, it's called Pays de Gaulle. Oh, uh, that um, Which kind of just means land of the Gauls, which is kind of <laughs> funny. But yeah, and the, and the Welsh are quite closely related to the Bretons, who still are the the last remaining Celtic group in France. And they sort of remained a bit isolated from, from everyone else. So around the same time that the Celts are coming into Gaul, we've also got Greek settlers founding some trade cities on the south coast, on the Mediterranean coast. And these are the cities of Massalia, which will become Marseille, and Nicaea, which will become Nice. These are like little trading cities. They're not here to like conquer or anything. They're just here to you know, sell wine to some drunken Celts. <laughs> yeah, and they were trade rivals to Carthage, which was the big, the big power economic power. Yeah, at the time, 
um, which was a city on the North African coast in sort of modern day Tunisia, which was established by the Phoenicians. It yeah. came from what's now Lebanon. Yeah. That's so the area. area. Yeah. 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 And they gave us the alphabet. They had the first alphabet. Which... Yeah, but which we still cannot decipher to this day. Yeah, true, true. But so... we know that the Greeks kind of based their alphabet off it. Yeah. And the Romans Basically. kind of based theirs off Greece. And, and then we know. we use the Roman alphabet. So yeah. But Carth- Carthage, very important. But you know, we won't talk about too much. Uh, <laughs> there is there is another power looming on the horizon. So yeah. So in Italy, during the Gauls actually expand all the way into Italy um, during the sort of this sort of Iron Age migration that we're talking about. So in 390 BCE, a guy called Brennus, who is the leader of the Senones, a tribe of Gauls, he sacks a little city called Rome uh, on the, the Italian peninsula. The first sacking of Rome and the the last for a, for a long time until things start going sideways. But little does he know that uh, Rome is going to rise from the ashes and New power. yeah, and take over basically just everyone. <laughs> large just, just a lot of people. Those of you who don't know. Yeah. And Rome really came into its own during the Punic Wars, which were between Rome and Carthage. So this is like 200s BCE. Rome has recovered from its sacking and it's kind of united a lot of the Italian tribes, whereas the Gauls are still kind of like fractured and there are a bunch of little tribes that doing sort of their own thing, doing their own thing, fighting against each other. Fighting, yeah, thing. fighting against each other. They're more sort of, yeah, and they're more sort of raiders than traders. I mean, they do trade. Yeah, yeah, they do trade, but they're mainly known as warriors. Whereas the Romans, they have good warriors, but they also have a good like bureaucracy and they, they've got this weird thing called a Senate that organizes things. It's new and weird and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the Punic Wars, there are three of them. The main one we need to know about is the second Punic War, because the first Punic War is just, you know, Roman Carthage fighting over some islands for trade. But then the second Punic War, a guy called Hannibal mm. comes through Gaul to get at Rome from the Alps. So he's coming at them from behind basically <laughs> um while they're not looking and he actually assembles a lot of ghouls together they're like we'll come with you yeah well he's coming in with these elephants this yeah, like, like elephant you army you not want to join an army that has bloody elephants it has bloody elephants unfortunately a lot of the elephants died which is really sad i think i can't believe th- no elephants basically made it to rome yeah no i mean animal didn't even make it to rome unfortunately he kind of got stuck he, he won a lot of victories but kind of got stuck just couldn't quite make it. Couldn't quite make it. He wasn't getting enough support from the mother city, from Carthage. And yeah, it just crumbled a bit. And unfortunately, uh, the Gauls suffered some negative consequences. Yeah, Rome was not happy with them. Not happy. So Roman had already taken over the Gauls in northern Italy because it was sort of a preemptive strike to to have a bit more of a barrier against Hannibal. Uh, And now they took over a place that they named uh, Provincia, Provincia Romana, uh, which is now the region of France called Provence. That's where the name comes from. This was the first Roman province in Gaul, and it was kind of like just over the Alps. And it's also where um, the Greek cities, where Marseille and Nice were, and they sort of eventually got subsumed into the Roman Empire as well. The Romans are going to eventually 
push further into Gaul. But right now, yeah, they get a bit busy for a a century or two. Um, They have a few other things they need to do. Yeah, the Third Punic War, they destroy Carthage completely, obliterate it. Annihilate it. Annihilate it. They also take over Greece. Um, So, you know, the Romans are now big players. They've also got Spain. They've got Spain. No, they don't have Britain yet. Britain comes after Gaul. Oh, yeah, obviously. But um, we'll get to that. So the Romans are still kind of annoyed by the Gauls. Like, they're, they're, mm. still, they're still great warriors. They're still a formidable force, and they keep raiding into Roman territory. And the Romans do not like this. Yes, but as we said before, the Gauls are very hampered by their tribal divisions, and these are exploited. By the Romans. They took advantage of this. By one Roman in particular. Cannot even remember his name. <laughs> Should I know? Should it be Caesar? He's the mo- yeah, he's oh, the most famous yeah. Roman who ever lived. Oh, Guys, Julius Caesar. So yeah, he leads what are known as the Gallic Wars in the fifties BCE, and this was like part expanding Rome, part sort of personal vanity project. Um, he yeah. wrote like a diary, which in part is a great historical source because it tells us a lot about the Gauls and his personal point of view. But it's yeah, it's very much his personal point of view. It's um, it's a heavy bias, and it uh, the Gauls don't come off looking very well. Like he paints the druid, their druids who are like their priests, as like evil cult. Yeah, like evil cult people, witches, that are witches like, and voodoo and whatnot, doing magic, putting curses Even on people. That would be really fun nowadays. Yeah, so he. Yeah, so he uses divide and conquer tactics to like put pit different Gaulish tribes against each other. Eventually, a leader called Vercingetorix, one of the greatest Gaulish leaders ever, he united a coalition of tribes. Unfortunately, after about ten months of fighting, he had to give himself up to the Romans mm. in order to spare his army. And he didn't have a good time because that. No, he got paraded in Caesar's triumph and then ritually strangled. Yeah, at the they end told of him it. they would treat him well. Yeah, that's the as the story goes. Yeah, he thought he would get good treatment by mm-hmm. surrendering himself, which is actually uh, um, a couple decades later, Cleopatra decided to kill herself rather than give herself up to the Romans because she knew that the same thing was going to happen to her. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. she didn't want to be part of uh, as the, of being paraded around the street. Yeah, the Roman vanity project. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Romans are very vain, <laughs> I must say. Roman cult. So now we get into Roman Gaul. <laughs> um, so Gaul is divided into several provinces, probably with a pair of Caesars. <laughs> you love that joke. Yeah, I do. Just so good. I must credit Terry Deary of the Horrible History books with that joke, um, that horrible dad joke. Mm-hmm. So Gauls were either killed, enslaved, or like forcibly repatriated to other parts of the empire. Generally just not treated that well. <laughs> yeah. And this was on a massive scale. Like we're talking hundreds of thousands of Gauls displaced or killed. Yeah. It wasn't just like a handful. Yeah. No, it was a lot. Yeah. And this was all a program of like sort of separating them out, just um, make them from unifying and yeah, fighting that. Exactly. Exactly. Which you have to admit is a pretty good strategy, but fucking goals. Yeah, it was cultural genocide. So. <laughs> and they got rid of the Druids, they got rid of their religion, they kind of replaced it with a more Roman religion. But this created a new cultural identity called the Gallo Romans, which is how we'll refer to them for the next couple episodes because they're going to still exist for a while. So Gaul became an integral part of the empire, it was agriculturally rich. 
Uh, it got these lovely newfangled things like aqueducts and baths and um, got big cities like uh, the city of Lutetia, which now is known by the name of the Gaulish tribe that used to live there, the Parisii, the city of Paris on the River Seine. That's first first of your rivers. Another river, the Rhine River, uh, which was in Eastern Gaul, so mm-hmm. border of France and Germany today. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a good protective frontier against the Germanic tribes who had now migrated in and replaced the Gauls over in that area. And we'll, we'll get back to these Germanic tribes because they're going to be a bit of a pain. But the next big change for the Gallo-Romans is Christianity, which arrives in 150 CE. Um, and... Oh, I feel like we'll talk about Christianity a lot. I don't know. Yeah, we, we don't need to get into it now. But basically, there's a lot of persecution at first. Um, it's very popular among the poor. But as we'll see, church ends up getting a bit more prestige and money as time goes on. Yeah. So now we come to the crisis of the third century, which is bad times. Uh, it's everyone. Bad times for everyone. So the, the young emperor Alexander... Uh, the last of the Severan dynasty, was assassinated along yeah. with his mum uh, by his own guards, by oh, the God. Praetorian guards. They must have really hated him. Yeah, the Praetorian guards kind of do this. They keep killing emperors and replacing them with the guy that they want in charge. So just don't trust those guards. Basically. Yeah, just don't. At that point, like, why do you, do you even have guards? I know, you're going to guards. Maybe you'll just bloody walk the streets without them. Yeah, it seems... You're more likely to survive. Yeah, so basically the crisis of the third century was a combination of various factors. Listen to the Talis Rankian podcast. To, you want to find out more. To find out more. Go into that detail. Yeah. Um, a whole other podcast. Yeah. Which has already been created. Yeah. Um, so Rome basically almost fell because you've got a combination of Germanic tribes pressing in on all the borders, like eroding the borders away. Um, a series of short-lived emperors who weren't very successful. Smallpox comes to Europe for the first time. Love a good pandemic, don't we? <laughs> Um, and we've got sort of rampant corruption in the bureaucracy, which, it's you know. still around today. Yeah. So not yeah. much has changed. We've got a pandemic. Yeah. Terrible people. Yeah. So the darkest moment of the crisis of the third century was the capture of the Emperor Valerian by the Rome's uh, Persian um, enemies in the east. And this prompted a guy called Posthumus that in Gaul. Where Georgia, Where Georgia? Oh, Valerian. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Valerian was kind of infamous, maybe. I don't know. Sorry. Side note there. Yeah. Um, so the Gaulish provinces, which felt kind of neglected at this point, they were like, Middle child. Rome's not doing anything and we're getting <laughs> invaded and like we've also got small vox and like all this like, stuff. They elect a guy called Posthumus to be their emperor. So Gaul fully splits off from the empire for... like, bye! Yeah. So I think it's like Gaul and Britain sort of do their own thing for a while. But eventually things settle down. The crisis ends with the reforms of Emperor Diocletian. He's a great emperor. And he splits um, he splits Gaul into sort of smaller, easy to manage pieces. Um, he does this throughout the empire. He actually creates a system where you have four emperors. So you have two senior emperors called Augusti and two junior emperors called Caesars. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to like co-rule together and that like, well, <laughs> yeah. 
so so Diocle- no one wants to co-rule when they can all the power for themselves yeah so diocletian retired to croatia to grow cabbages real fact um <laughs> and Just think of him as the cabbage king yeah and things immediately fell into civil war <laughs> so of course. So his reforms, a lot of his reforms were great, but that could that be executed I executed after he left. Yeah. Um, but um, on the upside, you get the rise of Constantine, who eventually becomes the sole emperor of Rome um, in the early sort of three hundreds, and he's the one who makes Christianity legal. Coming back to Christianity, so no more persecuting the Christians. Yeah, I mean, not only does he not persecute the Christians, he also heaps money upon the church mm. to help them get sort of organized. And he's kind of credited with the whole Catholicism being money, 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 money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's sort of blamed for that. Um, he also arranges something called the um, Council of Nicaea, which you might have heard of. There's this prayer called like the Nicene Creed, mm. which a lot of Christians have to recite. It's basically the main thing is like establishing the idea of the Trinity. So there's like God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all the same thing and different things at the same time, but they're all equal, basically. It's very confusing. Um, But there's this guy called Arius who doesn't believe that. He thinks that, like, God created Jesus, not that God was Jesus, which is very... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. They they don't like that. So... Yeah, but unfortunately, there was a lot of confusion um, about, like, which belief was the right belief. Um, The Pope supported the Nicene belief, so that became sort of the like quote unquote orthodox belief, and the emperor supported that belief too. I think m- most of the emperors did. However, Aryan beliefs caught on a bit more with the Germanic tribes, like the Goths. The Goths were very into Arianism. Um, I think the Burgundians as well, and these were tribes that were starting to get into get their hands on bits of Gaul. So this Aryan Nicene controversy is going to be part and parcel with some of the conflicts that we're going to have early on in our series. But think of Aryan as different to World War II Aryan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Aryan okay. as in... The, A-I, isn't it? Well, the guy's name is Arius. A-R-I-U-S. There's no Y. So it's an I instead of a Y. But just think, it's named after a guy called Arius. Don't think of it. Don't think of, yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, they, that even Aryan with a Y is like was he took that out of context and used it. Well, anyway, he took everything out of context. <laughs> Skipping over that, back yeah. to Rome. Back to okay, so but again, Gaul was kind of feeling a bit neglected, you know, because you know Constantine. One of the things he did was move the capital from Rome to Constantinople, uh. which started out being called New Rome. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like how New York was called New Amsterdam. Yes, yes. And now, of, of course, Constantinople is called Istanbul. So it just keeps changing names. And originally it was called Byzantium. So they, they don't know what to call it. Um, so after Constantine, the empire eventually got divided again, this time permanently between East and West. Um, so in the West, Gaul is obviously part of that empire, which is ruled from Rome and sometimes Milan and sometimes Ravenna, just Italy, basically. Italy is the center of that. And the East is Constantinople. And the East will live on as the Byzantine Empire, um, which we also just call the Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, But the West is going to (laughs) fall. The West is going to fall. The fall of Rome. So in the 5th century, so the 400s, 
Um, it's not great for Rome. There's a lot of uh, sackings, as we said before. This is when Rome starts getting sacked again. Again, yeah. Again, we've got a series of short-lived emperors, and it's an it's an interesting situation with the Germanic tribes because a lot of them are working like for Rome. They're called the Federati. They're like collections of Germanic people who are migrating for nice land. The Romans give them land in return for protection against other tribes. So they're sort of settling along the borders and in some cases very much inside the empire. And so there's this guy called Flavius Ricimer who becomes like the de facto dictator of Italy. And he's like basically the emperor in all but name, but he can't be emperor because he's Germanic. He's the leader of one of these Federati. But we're going to see it's going to change the the definition of whether or not a Germanic person can become emperor. That's going to change with um, someone called Charlemagne, who, <laughs> who we won't get into for a while. So, yeah. So, meanwhile, in Gaul, Gaul had its own sort of magister militum, which is the name for this, like, de facto dictator guy. But it was also divided into, like, lots of little Regions. pieces. Yeah. It had gone from being four provinces under... Um, Augustus, who was the first emperor, to now over 17. So <laughs> it's a lot of little provinces. And they start being ruled by hereditary rulers. So it's really the start of kind of the feudal system where you've got small individual rulers uh, inheriting stuff rather than it being appointed by like the Roman Senate, like someone being sent off to rule it. Mm-hmm. So Rome really has no control over like who's they in charge. Yeah, yeah. Why would folks not tell the stuff to worry about? Yeah, Rome is just like, ah, just give it to your son. It's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you hope your son likes Rome. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Rome's not having a good time. The Goths sack Rome in 410. Uh, the Vandals even more brutally sack Rome in uh, 455, which is where we get the term vandalism <laughs> from. Uh, and the Vandals are, like, everywhere. They, they've discovered how to use boats. So, they, <laughs> so they're going... They're going to, like, Africa, and they're going everywhere. Um, whereas the Goths, uh, the Goths eventually take over Italy, and they take over the south of France, and also Spain. Visigoths. And the, well, the Visigoths are the Western Goths, so they're the ones in Spain. Mm-hmm. And the Ostrogoths are the Eastern Goths, and they're the ones who end up taking over Italy. Uh. And that happens after 476 CE, where the Roman Empire ceases to exist in the West forever, because a guy called Odoacer, who is the new Magister Militum, the leader of the Federati, um, he puts Rome out of his misery. He deposes the last emperor, Romulus Augustulus. Uh, great name. Yeah. But... Um, Sad that he's the name of the founder. Yeah, he's the name of the founder. He's the name of the first king and the first emperor. I know. Yeah. He <laughs> dies. Oh. Yeah, well, he, he technically... he just, fitting, in a way. Though. He was like a 17-year-old boy. Oh. And he didn't... He wasn't killed. He oh, was just, dude. he was just like qu- quietly shuffled off. He got to live in a villa. Oh, that's good. Yeah. No, that we will get child deaths, but not yeah. right now. <laughs> so the end around this time, this is the time where a figure called Clovis popes up. Pop popes up? <laughs> no, he's not. The <laughs> a figure called Clovis pops up. Um, in, in our history book. In our history book, into the area of Belgium. Which is which is where a, a tribe that he leads called the Salian Franks, a Frankish tribe, has popped up. The Franks. And now we should probably get into the Franks and what their deal is. Yes. Because we haven't heard of the Franks in all of this. Yeah. 
but they've been around. They're, they're one of the many Germanic tribes that are, like, floating around. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Um, and they're all jostling, like, to... The power. Yeah. To land. Mainly, like, for loot at first, uh. I think. But, yeah, eventually they, eventually they start to settle. Um, so the Franks um, will obviously, you know, give their name to France. Uh, so according to Gregory of Tours, who is the first uh, chronicler that we'll be relying on for our first few kings. You'll hear him being mentioned a lot. Yeah, he's fun. He's real fun. Um, but he he had this belief that the Franks were descended from the Trojans because after Troy fell, because you know there's a story of like how... Some of them went off. Yeah, like there's the story of Aeneas yeah. who went to Romans. There's also a story where a guy called Brutus came from Troy and founded Britain. Like Bruton, uh, Britain, yeah, um, but yeah, but uh, what was the guy for France? Not sure, but Gregory, Gregory just sort of vaguely mentions, oh, there were some Trojans who went up north, and then they eventually migrated west, and they were the Franks. Um, maybe it was a guy called like Francus or something, <laughs> uh, something on the nose like that. Um, but they actually probably migrated from sort of north, north, uh, east Europe sort of area, um. I think people thought used to think they came from Scandinavia, but I think they actually came from more sort of Russia area. Uh, so I think due to sort of like things like climate change and like just population growth and that sort of thing, they ended up migrating with a bunch of other Germanic tribes into what is now Germany and just causing a lot of grief for the Romans. And we first hear about them sort of around like 100 AD um, from Tacitus, the Roman historian who kind of talks about them in as like, you know, crazy barbarian swamp people who don't wear clothes. Uh, <laughs> but by the time that we're starting to, people to party with, basically. Yeah. But by the time we're starting to talk about them, they're a bit, they, they, they've, they've progressed as a society. In, in, no longer swamp people. Well, it, it depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do live, they do start to settle in Holland, which is, technically a swamp <laughs> so they are kind of swamp people they settled sort of holland like around the rhine river so they settled around like holland western germany belgium um they've they've kind of wor- wormed their way into that area which is one of the they're, they're sort of outer roman provinces so it's a combination of them just invading and them kind of working with the romans to like keep out other tribes and the Franks themselves are not united at this point. They're a bunch, they've got a bunch of little tribes within themselves. The main ones are the, there's the Chatai, who are probably very talkative, <laughs> <laughs> and the Ripuarians, who ripped. are, they're ripped, yeah, the, the ripped Ripuarians. They're sort of in sort of Western Germany, Eastern France, they're sort of more in the south of where the Franks are. But the ones we're interested in are the Salian Franks, um, who settled in the Low Countries, so like salty. Holland and Belgium, very salty. Well, they were by the sea; so they were quite <laughs> salty. And um, interestingly, like the Dutch language is actually descended from the Frankish language oh. because the locals of this area adopted the Frankish language. And then just adapted it to fit yeah, their yeah. Things. I mean, they're both Germanic, so yeah, it makes sense. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So. The guy who's credited with taking over Belgium is a legendary king called Merovec, from whom we get the Merovingian dynasty. So he was the king of the Salian Franks. And he had a son or maybe a grandson. 
not quite sure maybe how they're related. related. Maybe somehow related. Called uh, a descendant, basically, called Childeric the First, who was the father of our first king, Clovis. Is he and very we, chill? He was very chill. Well, Childeric in Germanic means battle ruler. <laughs> so he was not chill. He's <laughs> probably not chill. Um, well, apparently he was excessively wanton, according to Gregory Damn. of Tours. He was pagan. They were all pagan at this point. The Franks were still pagan. Whereas the Goths were converting to Christianity, but the wrong Christianity, the Aryan. <laughs> um, but the Franks were still pagan. They were fun. Yeah, they were fun. And um, they kind of worshipped gods that are kind of similar to like the Anglo-Saxon gods and like the Norse gods. So they had like an equivalent of Thor um, and um, Freya. Freya. Not sure Odin. about. Yeah, Odin definitely. Odin is like the all father in like all Germanic religions. Mm. Yeah. Not sure about Loki. I think Loki's oh. lo- Loki's the later thing. I think I they think. would have loved Loki. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, but um <laughs> but um so we kind of we did a little practice episode with our crappy mic that we yeah. got rid of. <laughs> yeah. But I think we needed that practice. I think yeah. we did. Um but we sort of gave Childeric a little review. The, yeah. the lost review. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't... Maybe one day we'll post it, but it'll be really scratchy sound. Yeah, or maybe we'll try it again sometime. I don't know. Um, I'm keen to I'm keen to get into Clovers, actually. Yeah. But um so Childeric, we 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 sort of gave him some scores to like test out our scoring system, kind of get mm. a feel for it. We don't we didn't have a lot of information to go off. So it was hard to give a good fair score. Yeah, yeah. But basically his 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 deal. Just to summarize, so he lived from about uh, 437 to like around 480-ish. He died around the time that Rome fell, basically. And he started off fighting against the Goths. So this is, you know, some barbarian on barbarian action. Um, And he was fighting alongside the Gallo-Romans in Northern Gaul. So the Goths have like Southern Gaul, but there's a pocket of uh, Romans in northern Gaul, sort of around Paris. And this becomes known as because Rome Rome has fallen, like there's no hope for Rome anymore. So the they can't help. Yeah. So the general there, who's called Agidius, which is a great name. Oh, no, that is a good name. Um Agidius declares himself king of Soissons, which is one of the cities in it's sort of near Paris. Um sort of between Paris and like Belgium. So like right up there. So he he and Childeric are kind of like like bros, and they oh. they fight the Goths together. They beat them back over the River Loire, which is another important river that we'll talk about probably a lot. Um, and that sort of that's the river that basically divides northern France from southern France, if you think about it that way. It like goes across the middle. Um, so yeah, Goths are now southern France. Uh, Romans still have Northern France, uh, the Kingdom of Soissons, I should say, which is Gallo-Roman. And Childeric and his Frankish warriors with their crazy axes. They had throwing axes, which is kind of amazing, apparently, according to some sources. Um, But they also probably would have had some more Roman-style weapons and stuff by this time, yeah. Because they were kind of part of the Roman Empire. Romans would be like, here, have some weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To help us. Exactly. But but also, like, the Franks go on the front lines, whereas the Roman uh, legionaries, you know, the Roman legionaries, you know, get to eat sushi in the back. While the, 
while the uh, yeah casually having a little sushi while the peasants fight. Exactly. Although they probably would have wouldn't have eaten. They would have eaten like garum, which is rotten fish sauce. True. But apparently, it was the bee's knees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they created it. Um. Couple like years back. Oh god! Apparently, it wasn't that bad. Oh, I couldn't I do it. Thought it was about it, they described it to something modern, but they said it was like pretty similar to some sort of modern thing. Yeah, I know. I'd give it a go just to say a ancient and ancient dish. Yeah, I think you need to move close to the mic. The wave, your wavelength is a bit weak. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, what were we saying? Yeah, before we got sidetracked by Garum. We did. Yeah, so Childeric and Aegidius were bros. They won the Battle of Orleon against the Goths in 463. But then in 465, Aegidius died. Mm. He managed to pass his kingdom on to his son, Syagrius. But Childeric doesn't care about Syagrius. Like, mm. He's like, you're not my bro. Yeah, he's not he, Yeah, he's not his bro. He's his bro's sniveling child who didn't do anything to earn anything. And... So there's a whole thing where Childeric ends up, like, killing a Roman general, Count Paul. Um, He burns a bishop's house down. (laughs) There's all this drama that happens because Childeric is unleashed. Uh, And, yeah, he's just, he's he's just, like, gonna gonna take what he can and get out. Including wives. Yeah, because he sees the Romans are going downhill. Yeah, it's like, I'll take what I can while fleeing. Yeah. Away from a falling. Yeah. And then Childeric died a uh, couple decades later in 481. We don't m- know much about his later life, but we can assume he did a lot of raiding. Um, at one point, he banded together with Odoasa, the guy who deposed the last um, Roman uh, emperor. His great name. Yeah, who's now like the king of Italy. He's declared himself king of Italy. So he he helps him against, you know, some other tribes, the Alamanni, like sort of keeping them in Germany. Yeah, so... He has a pretty successful career, I'd say. We gave him what, like a forty-two out of a hundred yeah, his final did, score. Yeah, in the forties. Yeah, so he's like, he's he's right. We were being nice. We were being nice, but we I think we needed more information about yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Franks, who are now firmly established in Belgium, are in a prime position for young Clovis, who is the son of, who is the son of Childeric. Yeah, the only son of Childeric. Yeah, which... one known. No, no known ones. He had some daughters, but Clovis is now Clovis is now ruler. Yeah. Oh, should we talk about the bees? Oh yeah, the bees. That was a good little point there. Yeah. So fun fact of bees. Yeah. Well. Yeah, we can sort of end it with this. So, so when this, I'm just gonna find this first episode with that little fun little bit. Well, we got to tell you about the bees because who doesn't love some bees and fun facts mixed together. So when I was researching Childeric, um, trying to scramble together some information, apparently in 1653, his tomb was discovered in uh, near the city of Tournai, which is in modern Belgium, which at the time was part of the Austrian Netherlands. So the Habsburg-controlled Netherlands in the 1600s. And they were discovered under the rule of Archduke Leopold Wilhelm, the governor. He was very good in recording all the stuff there. Yeah, so he got his um, he got his brain box, uh, a guy called Schiffley, on the case. And, um, oh, and also the tomb was found by a mason called Adrian Cancan. Oh, love the surname. Yeah, Cancan really spelled quite... Q-U-I-N, Q-U-I-N. <laughs> yeah, please message us if anyone has that surname. Because, because we love it. We love it. Um, 
So this treasure consisted of like gold coins and garnet jewels, pieces of iron that were probably like weapons or something. But the coolest thing of all was the was the bees. Yeah, there were three hundred golden bees. So literally, think like little figurines of yeah. gold that are shape of bees. Yeah, we're not sure what exactly were what exactly they, they were, what they meant. But they've been taken as like a kind of symbol of the the Merovingians and the Franks, um, to the extent that sort of Napoleon ended up using them as a symbol for his regime. He took the bee as his personal badge, which is kind of cool. Um, you showed the tiniest little insect as your yeah. Well, obviously not tiny, but you know one of the tiniest. Yeah. So yeah, the bee collection ended up sort of it ended up in Austria and then it was like given as like a diplomatic gift to France and, and then it, it was like stolen. in storage for a while and it got stolen yeah but they managed to recover two of the 300 and something bees so yeah so that's why we know what they look like yeah we've got two yeah we've got ones. two bees and we'll maybe put put a picture of them up on the blog yeah did yeah. they say that the rest of the bees landed in the river <clears throat> yeah so in 1831 um a group of hooligans Bloody hooligans. Bloody unpatriotic hooligans went into the National Library of France and stole them. And they melted down what they could and what they couldn't, they dumped in the Seine. So if anyone is just like, you know, casually strolling along the Seine and they see some gold. Yeah. If anyone, a bee, yeah. If anyone's in the Seine sort of downriver from the National Library. Of, you know, <laughs> just look out for some golden bees. Look out for some bees, please. And let us know if you find any. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Someone will pay good money for those bees. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure Emmanuel Macron will be happy. For some bees. For some bees, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So. And your name would be in the history books as the person who found more of the bees. Yeah. So, yeah, the bees are kind of taken to, as this sort of iconic symbol of this era. And I think we gave him a pretty good enchanté score for that. Yeah, because who doesn't love some bees? Yeah. because that honey. Yeah, because in our enchanté category, I think we're not just talking about their face. We're also talking about, like, symbols of their rule and... What represented. What represents them. But we'll see if Clovis has anything like that in in Clovis's episode next time. Will he have something as cool as the bees? Will he have something as cool as the bees? I'm very excited about Clovis because (laughs) he has an action-packed reign. Oh, I cannot wait to find out. Yeah. He he starts out pagan. Uh, He's a pagan renegade. But... um, Converts. Yeah, well, I won't spoil it, but... You'll find out more next Yeah, juicy stuff happens. And he has an amazing wife, who I think you'll appreciate. Oh, yay. Yeah. Nothing better than a strong, powerful female figure. All right. Well, I think think we should sign off now. Yeah. Well, goodbye from me. No, no, we have to do our sign off. We've got to do our sign off. (laughs) Hang on, I've got a whole sign off. Okay, so once again... We have to thank Rex Factor yes. for inspiring this podcast because we couldn't have started this journey without them, really. Yeah. Or, or, and without their support. They've been yeah. very supportive. They've given us lots of great advice. So thank you, guys. Yeah. And also uh, Rex Factor. No, not Rex. We said Rex. Yeah, we said Rex. And, and also Totalis Rankium and Pontifax. I reached out to them and they gave a lot of lovely support. Um, so thank you so thank you to them and also I didn't really think this kind of thing would be possible until I listened to Charles Rankin and Pontifax and saw the potential of that Um, also shout out to Grim Reading because they have a similar format but they review the Brothers Grim Tales and they I just listened to their Snow White episode today which was fabulous Um, 
You definitely need to listen to that podcast, actually. I'll add that to the list. Oh, so Eliza's, Eliza's got a long list. I've got a never-ending list of books and podcasts. Yeah. I think everyone does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I think Total's Ranking and Pontifax, though, are really good companions to where we're at right now in this history. Because in Pontifax, they're just going, they're, they're in sort of Charlemagne time. And Total's Rankium is like kind of what the Byzantine Empire was doing around the same time. So I think they're lovely sort of companions to this podcast. And they're, they're a similar format where they're sort of rating everyone. They have different categories. So. Yeah. They don't have a guillotine, though. We have a guillotine. Yeah, we have a guillotine. And we will use it. <laughs> we are not afraid to use it. Um, yeah, and we're, we're so just happy to be joining, like, the podcast community. The, podca- the history podcast community, yeah. which is popping and vibrant and amazing right now. Yeah. Um, so give us a follow on social media. We have Instagram. Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook. We've got a WordPress. Yeah, we, we've got a Facebook group which you Facebook. can join. Yeah. I think you just have to answer like a question, which yeah. is like why why, why you, have you joined Facebook? It's pretty easy. Know? It's just so you're not a robot. Um <laughs> but no one needs their fake followers. But everywhere if you search Battle Royale podcast, you'll find us. Yeah, don't get royals and eat. Yeah, and our WordPress site where we'll have a blog and we'll have, I'll put up some maps and like some family trees eventually. Um, so that's. And the pictures that we get our appearance of the ruler from yeah. as well. So you know what we're actually, image we're actually looking at. Yeah, and we'll be reposting links to that to all of our social medias. So that's battleroyalepodcast.wordpress.com. Um, and you can find all the links that you need there, basically. Um, and you can also email us, uh, battleroyalepodcast.com at gmail.com. Um, and we'll have you to answer any of your questions or queries. Yeah, and let us know what kings and emperors of France or queens or random other people, Joan of Arc is on the list, um, that you're excited for us to. Yeah, or if you know any really good facts about those people as well. Yeah. happy like include that within our podcast. Yeah, make my research easier. <laughs> okay, well then that's au revoir from me. And goodbye from me.